Hi, this is Rick Anthony, and welcome to the Someone You Should Know podcast, the podcast that spotlights the stars of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So sit back, relax, have a cold one, and get ready to meet someone you should know. My podcast guest this time is a fascinating guy from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Now check out this list of accolades. Check this out. A number one best-selling author on Amazon, a professional musician, a composer, a teacher, a narrator and voice actor, a YouTube creator, an actor, a music and media consultant. He has also toured throughout the United States, Canada, and Japan. As a guitarist, he was a session musician and as a writer-composer for Warner Brothers, Universal Studios, Sony, MTV, ABC, NBC, HGTV, HBO, the list goes on and on and on and on. Will you please welcome the guy known as the Guitar Dojo, Nick Morrison. Nick, it's a thrill to have you on the show. Thanks very much for having me. I'm super excited to be on today. Nick, I'm thrilled to have you on the show for several reasons. First off, I want to talk about your interesting career. Secondly, a lot of listeners picked up getting a guitar for Christmas or maybe yeah. recently, and uh, we'll we'll talk about what they need to do next. But first, let's talk about your background. When did you uh, actually st- first fall in love with music? Um, I, I think I fell in love with music. I mean, to be completely honest, in utero. Um, <laughs> I've got, you know, I come from a family of musicians. My grandmother was a concert pianist. Um, she had, she ended her career early to have kids. Uh, my grandfather was a was a drummer and played in in um, jazz bands and wedding bands uh, throughout his sort of you know younger years. That was his side hustle. You know, he'd work in the steel mill during the day or the night, whatever his shift was, and then he would you know play in a band for weddings and little corporate events and things. Um, my uncle's a, a professional jazz saxophonist in Toronto. And, uh, and so it just, I, I come by it honestly. It's always been a part of my life. My mom used to sing to me, you know, way back before they had like Mozart for babies and stuff like that. She would just sit real close to the hi-fi and turn on her favorite music and, 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 and sing along and, and serenade her belly, I guess. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's always been a part of my life. But, you know, realistically, I think the first time I ever thought about being a musician was probably when I was around six or seven. I think that was about the right age. And, uh, I remember my, my parents bought me a Nintendo entertainment system. Ah, okay. And, uh, and I remember just following and falling in love with the little blips and beeps and boops, the music that was happening. And of course, you know, the theme for Mario Brothers is probably the most recognized piece of music <laughs> in the entire world, as sad as that is, but it's actually not. It's a great piece of music. Uh, but I remember I was, I, you know, I thought to myself, I'm like, wow, this is really cool. And I didn't have the vocabulary at the time and I didn't know what it was, but I was like, when I grow up, I'm going to write music for video games. Like thinking, looking back on it, Mm -hmm. that's what I wanted to do. And, uh, and I actually had like a whole little sketchbook and my parents, I had a, one of those little Casio keyboards. I think it was maybe, you know, 32 keys or something. And it had like the little, you know, rumba and samba and tango little, uh, beat, beat matches, uh, in the background. And so you could push them. So I like put in a whole little booklet, I like made up all these little levels and I had all the different buttons that you would program. And then of course you would have the, the chordalizer. So you'd press one key and it would either arpeggiate or play a chord along with the backing beat. So I wrote out like this whole soundtrack to this imaginary game that I had in my head. And that was <laughs> at like, incredible. you know, six. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Now your first band, uh, when was that? And what was the name of the very first band? Okay. So do you, <laughs> do you want like the, fun. yeah. Do you want like the first band band or the first like rock band? Well, the, the first one that actually had an interesting name. 
Yeah, so I mean, I I've actually played um Great Highland bagpipes longer than I've played guitar. Oh, you're kidding. So I was yeah, so I was involved with the uh the 155 Air Cadet Squadron in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, Canada, um as a as a little tyke and then moved on and played with um the uh the 49th Field Regiment there and the we have we had another band they were called Celtic Frost or the Black Frost. Oh, it's been so it's been 30 years at this point. Anyway, um but my first like rock band that I had in high school was like me and three buddies and we called ourselves Torque, <laughs> T-O-R-K, <laughs> which is like a horrible band name. Oh no, it's like an homage to Peter Torque of the of the monkeys, right? <laughs> yeah, and we had no idea. We just we we thought it sounded industrial. We were uh-huh. like, oh, this is cool. Like T-O-R-Q-U-E is what it should have been spelled like, right? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, that's that's great. I really appreciate that. By the way, uh, a dear friend of ours, uh, by the name of a guy by the name of Craig Brooks, local area here guy. He is part of the Celtic Guard and appears at a lot of local funerals and such. And yep. he's actually he's actually touring with a ACDC cover band in the local area. Oh, so nice. so it's really cool. So yeah, bagpipes, yeah, still big in the area around here in uh, Chicago yep. land too. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Chicago's got a got a great pipe scene, pipe and drum scene. Uh, we used to travel a lot for competitions and and different things for the because uh, cadets is kind of like a worldwide thing, or at least in the Western world. Mm-hmm. And um, bagpiping conventions and and competitions, and of course Highland Games and things. And uh, growing up, Sault Ste. Marie's kind of you know northern Michigan if you think about uh, location wise. And then I was actually born and then went to school uh, the first round at uh, University of Windsor, which is right across the border from Detroit. So, right, right, right. You know, I was really, it's really easy to get over to, you know, anywhere, anywhere in Michigan. I've been to Chicago and um, various other locations in Illinois and all through the States. So. Very good. You were educated at the Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Where in you Boston, yeah. Guitar performance and music business management. What about the, those uh, formative years of, uh, of your education? Can you give us some stories from there? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I went back to school actually as a as a mature student. So I originally, like I mentioned, I went to school uh, at the University of Windsor and I did my undergrad there, and uh, and then decided to kind of go back and really pursue, you know, my because I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to get educated. I'm going to know what I'm talking about. I'm going to, you know, I'm I'm going to be like the guy, um, and it serves me well, and it's really, you know, allowed me, I think, a lot of really great opportunities because I can put Berkeley on my resume, and then of course the network. I think that's really the biggest thing to come out of a school like that is really the networking. It's the people that you go to school with. It's the professors that you meet, um, the, the guest lecturers that come in. And, and that's really, I think the power uh, of going to a school like that. And Berkeley's just one of them. I think it's probably, you know, the best school for modern music for jazz. But I mean, you, you know, you look out uh, for guitar players like MIT out in LA and Hollywood, right. Or GIT guitarist Institute. Um, you know, they got a great school in Atlanta. There's a great school in Texas. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of these really great schools. Um, like, uh, what is it? It's snarky puppy, right? Came out of the U Texas, I think it was. And, uh, right. So yeah, I think that's, that's definitely the best part about, about that, that institution. But I mean, in terms of, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, it's funny because I was a mature student. So I was like the only one in amongst, you know, high school seniors and I'm, you know, 23 at the time. So like I could buy booze. So I was very popular. <laughs> I was invited to every party. And, uh, you know, and I remember one time, one of our, one of our classes, I think, you know, we showed up and, uh, and, and the professor's like, all right, today's day one. We're just going to have everybody sign the, sign the, um, the log book. And I'm going to give you kind of the rules and the, and the curriculum for the year. And then I'll let you guys go early. And of course I was paying for my own school. So I kind of was like, um, 
no, I'm paying a lot of money to be here. I'd like class today, please. So I definitely pissed off all the other kids. You're the kid asking for homework, right? Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> hey, man, it's not a cheap school. So. Right, I know, I know. Yeah. No, like many musicians, you've spent some time in Asia. You lived in Japan for a while. Yeah. I am amazed on how much Japan loves rock music. I was first exposed to it back in 73 when Deep Purple released Made in Japan, yep. and later in 79 when Cheap Trick had the Budokan album. Why does yeah. Japan love rock so much? I, I just think they love all music, to be completely honest. Mm -hmm. There is, an, there is an, an audience base for every single niche. I'm still in touch with a lot of players over there and a lot of guys I used to play with and just friends from Berkeley and friends from, you know, even just, just meeting, uh, on the road. And I got a buddy over there in Tokyo. He makes a full time living. He plays jazz flugelhorn. Oh, wow. Which, nice. I mean, you know, for those of people maybe listening that don't really know what a flugelhorn, let's just say trumpet. Chunk um, Mangione. <laughs> yeah, Chunk Mangione. <laughs> but, you know, and he makes a great living doing it and he, he plays in and around Tokyo and he plays out three, four nights a week. And loves it. You know, he's married. He's got two kids and he makes a great living doing it. And I, and Japan is really the only place that you could do something like that. I think it goes back like with rock music specifically. If I'm completely honest, I think it goes back to World War II. You know, the oh, fact that okay. they were, they were defeated in World War II and then the U.S. Army came in and occupied the war, that, that whole country for, I think, a, a period of 10 years. And they really revamped the country in terms of the education system and uh, cultural stuff like with, with movies and music. And so of course the GIs that were there would bring across their rock and roll and, and their favorite bands, you know, so the, the, the beach boys were huge. Um, uh, you know, Chuck Berry, like all the, when you think of like classic rock and roll, right. Uh -huh. That, that is really still popular there. Of course now with a much older set, of course, but that tradition kind of still continues of the Japanese people by and large looking to America to set the stage for what uh, culture and music is is popular and good. Um, now, of course, since the, they had the boom, they had their bubble boom in the 80s, <coughs> excuse me, and, um, you know, they started developing their own pop music, their own rock music, and, and they've kind of done to, they've done to rock and pop music what we did to sushi, you know, <laughs> or, you know, they, they've, they've taken it and they've molded it and they've changed it and they've made it their own. So there's a really cool subset of all sorts of like, they call it J-pop, J-rock. Right. Um, exactly. Like K-pop now. It's what you Yeah, right absolutely. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But I really think that's where it came from. But, you know, it's just something in the Japanese spirit, you know, if you want to call it the, the, the way of the, the Japanese, or if you want to call it back into the, you know, I don't know, whatever, whatever it is, that, but inherent respect for any kind of artist. And it's a, it's an interesting dichotomy because you'll play a rock show and even like huge, huge bands will play rock shows and the audience will stand very still and just watch in awe of the musicians playing. And then when they're done, the whole crowd will, will, will clap wow. very respectfully. And, and of course things change and there's different, you know, genres and different things, but by and large, they're very quiet. They're very respectful. They listen and it's, it, it's a very different experience from performing in the States for sure. Nick, was there a, a specific guitarist or guitar style that you kind of molded yourself after, like, like Clapton, or maybe in, in the case of, uh, of uh, growing up in, in the Windsor area, Alex Lifeson or something of that nature? Yeah, I've definitely been a, a, a Lifeson, Lifeson, excuse me, definitely been an Alex Lifeson fan for most of my life. I love Rush. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm a Rush fan myself. I just, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> my father actually grew up with those guys. He's, he's from that area. He went to, to high school with them. So, there's a little bit of a familial connection there as well, which oh. is, which is nice. Um, but yeah, Lifeson was a huge, and I mean, I think stylistically, 
in terms of the way I play, two guys really, or three guys really come to mind beyond Alex would be, uh, probably Adrian Smith from. Oh, Maiden. yeah. Yeah. Maiden. Um, yeah. Love Maiden. Yeah. Um, <laughs> up the uh, horn. Set- yeah. No, <laughs> exactly. Brian Setzer from Stray Cats. Or oh, Brian yeah. Setzer Orchestra, which is weird, right? Like, cause now we're talking like two very, very disparate. Yeah. Genres. Definitely different. Yeah. Um, it is. Yeah. Totally. And then, and then John Petrucci from Dream Theater is probably oh, okay. my sort of number one guy. But, you know, those things. But, I mean, I love I love so many styles of music. It's it's really hard. You know, if you ask me tomorrow, I might say, oh, yeah, Chet Atkins for sure, because I'm a huge Chet fan, too. Uh-huh. Um, so <laughs> it, it kind of changes day to day. I, I agree with you. Now, the next feature here is something that we love to include here on the Someone You Should Know podcast. This is something that dates back to the late 90s when I had this show nationally. It is, uh, it's called Tales from the Road, and what this is, Nick, is – those most infamous road stories of getting to a gig, something that happened on stage, something that happened backstage, something that happened with your accommodations, something of that nature. Anything come to mind of all your years of uh, being a musician? Oh, there's, I mean, there's so many. There are, there's that great line from Garth Brooks, right? The stories we could tell if it wasn't for the code of the road. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but, you know, of things, of things that I can speak of in mixed company, um, you know, there, I, and I've talked about this, I talked about this once on a podcast before. So in my early days before, before I was like full-time professional, I played in uh, like a wedding and corporate band and we did various gigs and things. And this was in Windsor and we were playing actually at a hip club and the promoter was one of the old school wrestling promoters from like the seventies. And I can't remember his name right now, but he set up this show where we had the band would play uh, while the bands were playing. And then he, he would have essentially circuit show performers. Hmm. Circus show performers on. in the midst of Yeah, so we had like a sword swallower, flamethrowers, uh, we had little people, uh, there was a strong lady, um, all these different things. And so at one point in the show, they set up a giant inflatable pool on the stage and filled it with jello. <laughs> and, and somehow, I don't know, I think it was probably the vodka Red Bulls, but I thought it would be a good idea to wrestle in jello with the strong lady. And, uh, I didn't win. <laughs> Looks like it got a scene out of stripes, the movie stripes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was ridiculous, but it was a good time. Nobody really got hurt. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was a fun show. Uh, Fascinating. Had a good time. Fascinating. I love those uh, tales from the road. The, now the next phase of our interview is about you being a guitar instructor. Now in 2021, you began writing a guitar instructional book that wound up becoming the number one best-selling book on Amazon called Guitar Fretboard Music Theory. Painlessly memorize all the notes on the neck forever for instant recall. Plus, you've got a YouTube catalog. Plus, you've got an app. Something yeah. a guitarist on any level. This is incredible. Yeah. So the book, the the book that hit number one was actually um, uh, guitar fretboard memory magic. Okay. Uh, yeah. So and and you hit the nail on the head. It is it is about memorizing the fretboard because it's one of those things. It's you know if you I've been teaching for almost as long as I've been playing right because as as any most professional guitar players will tell you it's like when they're when you're not on the road or you're not doing a session it's like okay well i still need to make some income and 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 teaching is a great way to do that and now with the internet being the way it is and with social media you know i can remember even you know go back 10 years if you if you're out touring around you could you could put out a tweet and say hey i'm going to be in xyz city for three days anybody need a anybody want to meet up for a lesson and you can do that if you're if you're interested. And now, of course, guys are doing it via Zoom and Skype and and all the rest. But um, 
where was I going with this? Oh, right. The biggest problem I find a lot of the times is that, that guys and gals, when they, when they start playing guitar, they just dive right in. And I, I honestly, I fully think that that's the best way to do it, but they sometimes forget at some point you should also learn the basics such as what, what are every single fret? Like what notes are on my guitar? Uh-huh. Where do they live? And guitar is a weird instrument as, as I'm sure you're, you're aware, like you can play the same note in, you know, 12 different places. And, um, but you, you need to kind of have that, that roadmap in your head to really progress faster. And it's funny because you can, you can progress really well and you can get to a very high level of playing without doing it. But the moment that you take, you know, a week to really just invest in yourself and really memorize those notes, it's amazing how quickly that shift changes your perspective on the instrument and changes your fluency. Because now you'd no longer have to think, oh, okay, I need to reference, okay, well, the fifth fret's A, and then if I skip a string and move up three frets, there's my octave. Like, And suddenly you're not doing any more mental gymnastics uh-huh. to locate your notes on the fretboard, and it just makes a huge difference. And it's, and it's funny, you mention this to people, and a lot of folks don't believe me, but I'm like, it will change the way you play and make it make it just that much more fluent. So, yeah, that was the reason I wrote that book, and it did. It it hit Amazon number one bestseller status for. And it was about two and a half months in twenty twenty one, which that's, was, that's which phenomenal. Was Plus, you phenomenal. got a, and you, it still sells YouTube, well. Yeah, and you got a YouTube catalog also. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I've been on YouTube a long, long time. Um, I was originally in the first wave of like uh, monetized channels all the way back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, um, cool. and I left the platform for a little while because there was some just just some issues that happened, and uh, I got back on it to specifically kind of teach guitar and advertise my services and that sort of thing. Um, as of two thousand eleven, so yeah, I've got a pretty deep catalog. I think I'm up to over five, six hundred videos at this point, and there's kind of something for everyone. I've got it split up. If they visit, it's like YouTube.com/slash Samurai Fingers. And, uh, we'll include that in the notes. Don't care. If, yeah, you, if you're in your uh, car and you're going, Oh gosh, I want to I get that. It's yeah, yeah. it'll be in the but notes. Got I it, promise you. I've got to divide it up to like beginner lessons, intermediate lessons, advanced lessons. And I do, you know, gear stuff and set up and tone analysis, like all sorts of different stuff, ear training, the whole bit. So there's a little bit of something for everybody on that, on that channel for sure. And you have a smartphone app too. Is that right? Yeah. So this year, well, sorry, not this year. It's now 2023. <laughs> this time last year, uh, I released an app and it's called the Guitar Dojo. And, uh, there's a few different programs, but the premier program I have, uh, within that is, is the fretboard infinity loop system. So it's basically taking the past like 30 years of my experience and condensing it down into a 10 week course to give you complete fretboard mastery so that you can play what you hear in your head without thinking about it. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and it's, and it's great, you know, and it's honestly like if you look, if, if you look at like, uh, going to lessons at a store, let's say, right? So you got to figure out, you got to carve out time every Tuesday at 7.30. You got to eat dinner early, leave the house at seven, got to drive for 20 minutes, get there, do the lesson. It's a half hour. And then, you know, you're going to do that over the course of a year, let's say 48 weeks or whatever. And most stores usually charge 20, 30, 40 bucks for the, for the half hour lesson, right? And, you know, you look at that over the course of a year and you're spending, close to three grand probably by the time you're done with it. And you're not necessarily going to get takeaway notes. You're not going to get video references. You're not necessarily going to get like backing tracks and all of the different things that you're going to need to really make your practice as productive as possible. Whereas that app and that program that I have, it's like 150 bucks and that's Canadian by the way, not us. So I think it's like, you know, $90 us Um, and you know, take with you anywhere you want. And if you want to do a lesson at 3am, you can. You know, so it's, it, it's really, it's, it's proving to be, uh, pretty popular. And, and the folks that I've had, um, that have gone through the program have really, really loved it. And again, it's, it's really just changed the way that they approach the guitar because 
again, I've been playing a long time and I've seen bits and pieces of the way I teach um, online or in different books or whatever, but nobody's really put it together the way I have because I just, I mean, <laughs> listen to me. I'm such a unique and special individual. That I'm the only person that can teach you to play guitar, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I've just, I've, you know, I, I look at things. I'm a bear of very little brains and I like to think less and play more. There so that's, go. that's the impetus that I always put into any of my teaching, any of my books, any of the, the lessons in my app. It's like, how do I take the complex music theory that I went to school and studied and paid a lot of money for. And how do I translate that into something simple that you can take home in like 15 minutes and make your playing better? All right. Now here is the thing that I know a lot of people are like on the edge of their seat here. And are and they? I want here. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to step one. A few months back, my wife wound up winning a beautiful DW Washburn acoustic guitar at an auction. She wants to learn to play guitar. What is her first step? Nice. Um, well, the first step is, is really getting the guitar. So she's got that done. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> the next step got. I would say is really determining what it is she wants to do. Do you, does she want to play strumming chords to, to sing along with, or does she want to play fingerstyle or does she want to do jazz or whatever? So once you kind of figure out where you want to go, then you can actually start making a roadmap of how to get there. All right. Using your course, what would be the first thing? Let's say, for instance, she wants to go ahead and sing along with the chords. What would be the first thing that she needs to do? With that in mind, the the first thing you need to do is literally just figure out, okay, well, what song is it that I want to learn? And you can find this stuff online, right? You, you uh -huh. download uh, tablature or sheet music. I would stick with tab because it's basically like a paint by numbers system to play the guitar. Um, and you, and you figure out the three or four or five chords that you need for that song and you just start putting it together. Now you may or may not need a, a teacher's help to, to, you know, help you kind of figure out how to put your fingers on the frets. And that can be, you know, usually achieved through either a private tutor or, or a music store in your neighborhood. Uh -huh. Um, and you know, you could do that usually over three, four weeks and that's enough to get started and then stop and then go and work on those, that song and work on some more songs and, and, and go down that road and have some fun with it. My biggest thing, uh, when I teach any student, I don't care if it's a kid or if it's a 95 year old person, I'm always about having fun. If you're not having fun, you're not going to learn. Right. So yep. that was the way I was with piano. I had piano for four years and yeah. I could, I could play the notes, but I could not make the music. It was just something about it. My version of stairway to heaven legendary because it sounds nothing like the original. Nice. So it was a, just, it was just a tribute. It was absolutely uh, very nice. But yeah, so I, I think mean, if that... anything, Jimmy Page would go, uh, give it up, hang it up, bud. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. We, we've unpacked a lot of information here. And I mentioned the fact that we were going to give the listeners the links and such. First off, uh, a good link to a website there, Nick. Uh, yeah. So my website is www.guitardojo.ca. Okay. Uh, All right. And then I'll mention the YouTube again. It's youtube.com slash samurai fingers. And that's my kind of internet handle that I've been using for a long time. There's a fun story from my years in Japan. One of the guys I used to play with, I, I finished playing a solo and I don't know, I think it was just like a blues piece we were playing or something. And he looked at me and he's like, man, you've got like, you've got like the fingers of a samurai. <laughs> And I was like, and, he, and then of course he thought about it and he was like, samurai fingers, you've got samurai fingers. And I was like, yes, yes, I do. That's awesome. And I, and I stole it and I used it. I've used it as my like online. Okay, there you since. go. There you go. <laughs> Trademark yeah. that sucker, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Real good. Uh, okay. So uh, also the name of the app, one more time on the name of the app. 
the, the name of the app is the Guitar Dojo. The Guitar Dojo. All right, the very good. Any closing thoughts Nick there, Nick, that you'd like to impart with our listeners who are are, are listening? Going, oh gosh, it's uh, there's it's kind of a daunting task. I I want to I want to sound like Eddie Van Halen, but here I am just on lesson two. What do I do? Yeah, there you go, man. I mean, you know, how do you, how do you eat a whale, right? One bite at a time, or how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, and just spend fifteen minutes a day practicing something fun that you love, that you enjoy, that keeps you motivated and moving toward your goal, whatever that goal happens to be. And if you keep doing that, you will get there. If you put in 15 minutes a day, every day for 365 days a year, it's like a thousand hours worth of practice and you will be better just by the numbers. You will be better than 95% of the people, the other players that aren't putting in that practice time. So that's really all it takes. All right. Fascinating stuff from the Guitar Dojo, Nick Morrison. Nick, thanks for being a guest on my show, man. I really appreciate that. Thanks for having me by. Hi, this is Rick Anthony. Thanking you again for listening to this episode of Someone You Should Know. Now, if you're an aspiring musician or an established musician that's looking for a little exposure, I invite you to drop us a line at someone you should know podcast at gmail.com. That's someone you should know podcast at gmail.com. Also, I invite you to tell a friend about the Someone You Should Know podcast. I thank you for tuning in this time and I invite you to check us out next time on the Someone You Should Know podcast because you never know who's going to show up. Until next time, remember, God loves you and so do I.